Welcome everyone to Dafyomi one week at a time. Uh, today is our first lesson of Masachat Ketuvot, uh, and that is very exciting to be beginning a new Masachat. Uh, so for those of you who uh, are new, welcome. Uh, for those of you who have just finished Yevamot, Kol uh, kavod, and uh, this is very exciting uh, to begin a new Masachat with you. Um, so I'm just going to review, or sorry, to, I'm going to introduce the Masachet. Um, so, uh, you know, we just finished Yevamot and we spoke a lot about family relationships and we spoke about uh, the husband dying, but we, and we have mentioned the, um, the Ketuva, but we haven't really um, mentioned or discussed uh, the details of the Ketuva. So uh, it's important to understand that the, the Ketuva is um, going to explain the mutual obligations of the husband and the wife. Um, and this is going to be at the beginning of the wedding, during the marriage, and at the end of the marriage, um, you know, if they end up uh, getting a divorce. Um, the ketuba is generally written down. Um, uh, my friend Shuli Mishkin, for those of you who are interested on Hadron, uh, just uh, published a, an article about uh, archaeological finds uh, of different ketuvot throughout the ages and uh, what they looked like, what they, inc what they uh, incorporated. Uh, nowadays, uh, many Jewish homes have a ketuva on the wall. Uh, many times it's a piece of art. Um, but it's important to understand that, uh, first of all, it, it's usually written down. Um, but even if you don't write down the ketuvah, the things mentioned in the ketuvah are obligations. So even if you don't write it down, uh, they do still apply. Um, the the um, Usually, again, the, the ketuvah we're going to discuss, and we did discuss in the last Masechet, right, if this happens or that happens, does the woman get her ketuvah? Uh, so what does that mean to get her ketuvah? It means does she get the sums of money uh, that were promised to her uh, in the ketuvah, in the contract? Um, and that is always a discussion. Uh, we're going to learn that there was a standardized uh, amount of money uh, that every woman uh, received or it was written in the ketuvah. Uh, we're going to learn that a virgin, a betula, who gets married gets 200 zoos in the event that there is a divorce. Uh, a widow or a divorcee will get 100 zoos uh, in the event of a divorce. Um, yes, we'll, we'll discuss. Um, again, uh, I don't think it's 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 I don't think it's really talking about value. Uh, I don't think that the Gemara sees the women, uh, you know, worth more or less. Um, I think it's probably um, just about status and um, you know marital uh, marital status, and I think that that's important to understand. Uh, but again, we'll discuss it when we get to, when we get there in the in the Gemara. Um, there is a disagreement or, or a machloket if a ktuva is biblical in origin or rabbinic in origin. Again, the purpose of the ktuva was to protect the woman. Uh, it's really important. I know sometimes we make certain statements and we feel um, 
maybe uh, maybe offended by certain statements in the Gemara, it is important to understand that this entire Masachet is about prepa- um, protecting the woman. So that's just really important to understand um, that this is a document that says that in the event of a divorce, the woman will get a certain amount of money. Um, so that is just, I think, very important to understand. Um, a man, we mentioned certain sums of money, but the husband can add to those sums. Um, so if any of you have uh, listened to uh, the reading of the Ketuva at a wedding, and after this Masachet, you will definitely listen to it a little bit more closely. Um, it usually says um, that, you know, you, that she gets Mataim Zuz, plus right the ode and usually there's like another sum of money that is added um you know sometimes it could be thousands of shekel uh lynn mentioned right it's like a prenup it is uh it is a, a an agreement to make sure that she is um that she is protected however it is interesting that lynn that you mentioned prenups um it is important to understand that it's it's not really a prenup and uh for those of you who are not aware there is a, a very important movement nowadays um, to get new couples um, to sign a halachic prenup. Uh, a halachic prenup is there in order to, uh, pr- again, protect the woman, basically to protect both of them, um, to make sure that in the event of a divorce, uh, that the husband will give a get. Uh, and we'll talk when we get to gitin, uh, the importance of giving the get, uh, without which you cannot get uh halachically divorced or divorced in Jewish law. Um, so there are actually real uh, halachic prenups uh, nowadays. So uh, I'm happy to discuss that uh, another time when we when we get into more of uh, issues of that. Um, okay, just a few more I, I, pieces of information just for the uh, introduction. There are two stages to marriage. We did see this previously, but just it's important to remember. Uh, there is the kiddushin, or erusin, right? Kiddushin means betrothal. We saw a little bit of that in the last uh, Masechet. And erusin, which literally means engagement, but it is not like the engagement of nowadays, where you're like, oh my gosh, look, I got engaged. Um, in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, um, engagement meant um, one step closer to marriage, meaning uh, if one was to uh, break an engagement, a a Erusin in the time of um, the Mishnah or the Gemara, she would actually need a divorce. Uh, so it's not the same as nowadays. Nowadays, that is not the case. If someone is engaged and they break up, nothing has to happen, meaning they just say, you know, we, we made a mistake and they part ways. In the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, that is not the case. You do need a get from Kiddushin or Erusin. So that's stage one. We now do that together at the wedding ceremony. The next step is called Nisuin, that is the actual wedding ceremony. So we actually put the two of those together um, at our um, at our weddings. Uh, the Nisuin is done under the chuppah. Um, some people, uh, there are different opinions. What really is the Nisuin? Is it the chuppah ceremony? Is it when they actually go into his house? Is it when they actually have relations? Like what it really means Nisuin? Um, 
and we'll uh, and we'll get to that in this masechet. Uh, the last thing is that it's important to understand that in those days, those two stages were sometimes separated um, by a year. Uh, so, like you you would get betrothed, right, kiddushin or engaged, uh, and then. Erusin, and then wait a year for them to get ready, right? To fill up the 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 trousseau, the you know, for the man to to prepare for the wedding, um, and then uh, the wedding would be uh, a year later. Okay, let's go to our first daf again to remind us daf two, right? Bet is the first is the first daf of the masechet because you know we've been learning for a long time, and we just jump right in. There is no page one, uh, and again a, another. Beautiful idea was that page one is Derech Eretz, right? We say, uh, right, Derech Eretz being, uh, being a kind person, right? We, the famous line, Derech Eretz Kadma Torah, right? First, we're going to be good people, and then we're going to learn Torah. So page one was be a good person, and now we're on page two. Okay, um, the Mishnah tells us that a Betula, uh, Betula is a virgin who gets married, who gets married. Um, no, I'm sitting here doing my... Uh... Oops. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, the virgin who gets married should get married on Wednesday, and a widow should get married on Thursday. Uh, we're going to explain why in a minute. Um, the Mishnah tells us that the courts sit on Monday and Thursday. Therefore, if the, the Bitula, the virgin, gets married on a Wednesday, um, and we will discuss this as we continue, um, and also in Masachet Kiddushin, uh, we are concerned, right, if, let's say, he finds out she's really not uh, a virgin, she was supposed to be and she wasn't, uh, there is a fear that maybe, or concern that maybe she had an affair while they were engaged. Uh, again, as I mentioned, the engagement period is quasi being married. If she has an affair, uh, that is very severe. Uh, and therefore, um, we want to make sure that he can go to court the next morning. Uh, therefore, since the court sits on Thursday, they should get married on Wednesday night. Um, Okay, the Gemara tells us that, as I mentioned before, there used to be one year uh, in between the, the Kiddushin, the betrothal, and the wedding. And if a year passed um, and they didn't have the wedding, right? Let's say they set the date uh, and they were going to get married on, uh, you know, Aleph Tammuz. And then it gets to Aleph Tammuz. And for whatever reason, which we'll discuss, uh, let's say they do not get married. Um, the Gemara tells us that he needs to begin to support her from that day. Again, remember, uh, we want to protect the woman. Part of protecting the woman is supporting her. She expected to be married by Aleph Tammuz. She is not married at this point. He needs to start supporting her. Um, and that could also be a reason why uh, they have to get married on a Wednesday. Uh, and the Gemara will explain this in a minute. Um, maybe we should say, right, if the court sits on Monday and Thursday, why don't they get married Sunday night, right? That's also before the court, um, the court date. So the Gemara says you don't get married on Sunday because the husband needs to prepare for the wedding at least three days before the wedding. Um, so if you're going to get married on a Sunday, there's really no time to prepare because you have Shabbat beforehand. Uh, therefore, you prepare 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then the wedding is on Thursday. Uh, the Gemara calls this Shakdu. Shakdu means uh, the the um, the sages were very concerned that the husband should have enough time to prepare for the wedding. Again, um, we want to make sure it's a beautiful event that there's plenty of food, uh, right? If it's on Sunday, that's very complicated. Therefore, you should get married on a Wednesday. Um, what if one of them got sick within that year? Remember we said you have one year to have the wedding and let's say they're late. Well, what if one of them got sick within the year and that's why they put off the wedding? So then he does not have to support her when that date comes up because you know they couldn't get married uh, in that whole year. Um, what if she became a nida, right? She became impure uh, because she was menstruating, um, then, and that's why she couldn't get married on that day, uh, again, because they couldn't be together. So again, he does not need to support her if that's the reason why they're not having uh, the wedding. Um, what if it's, it wasn't her normal time uh, to, to bleed, but she does anyway. Um, does he need to support her? Uh, and again, here the Gemara is talking about, you know, is it her fault? Again, they don't really mean fault, but uh, meaning if it's something that maybe she could have controlled or because of her, uh, then he shouldn't have to support her. If it's not because of her, then he should have to support her, um, right? If she delays, then he doesn't have to support her after that, you know, on that date. Um, and uh, the question is, right, is there this concept of ones? Ones means, uh, right, in Hebrew, the word ones means um, it, it wasn't her fault, right, uh, or anybody's fault. We'll see. We're going to get into different examples of ones. And the question is, do we say that there's this concept of ones for a wedding? Um, and then the Gemara says there's no concept of ones for a get. What does that mean? Um, so the Gemara gives us uh, the very famous case. Let's say a man says uh, to his wife, uh, I'm going uh, far away for business. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to give you this get, right? This bill of divorce. And he says, if I'm not back within 12 months, so then this is a divorce and you're divorced. Meaning I don't want there to be, we, we saw this at the end of, at the end of Yivamot, right? We don't want there to be any problems. Uh, I don't want you to have to worry. Am I alive? Am I not alive? If I don't come back in 12 months, you're divorced. Now, uh, what happens if he gets sick and he can't get back? Does it count? Is there a divorce or not? So the Gemara says the get counts, meaning they're divorced, even though it's not his fault. He got sick. Um, the Gemara says it doesn't matter. Um, you know, you should have stipulated in this, you know, stipulation, um, right? Uh, this is your get if I don't come back in 12 months. But if I'm sick or if it wasn't my fault, so then it's not a get. Uh, I think we have a, a judge here. I'm sure she can attest to uh, the legal ramifications of stipulations. Um, so here the Gemara says he should have put it in the stipulations. If he didn't, then that's it. If he's not back, I don't care why he's not back. It's a get. Um, however, right, if he dies, um, so then it's not seen as uh, as a get, meaning that's, you know, that's really 
not his fault, but you know that that doesn't count. Um, what about um, what if he says, "Here's a crazy case." Right? He says, "If I don't come back in thirty days, here's your get," and then he gets to um, you know almost to the town, and he's on the other side of the river, and he can't get across the river. Right? The, there's a ferry strike, or he misses the last ferry. Right? He misses the last flight, and he's standing on the other side of the river, and he yells, "I'm here! I'm here!" Right? So the Gemara says. Uh-uh, doesn't count. You're not back. You said you were going to get back. Then they're, they're considered divorced. Again, like he, Ones, right, he says, the Gemara says Ones doesn't count. He should have, if he, you know, it's interesting. The Gemara says um, it's very common to miss the ferry. So you should have written down in the, in the original stipulation, you know, like, if I don't make it back, then this is your divorce. But if I... You know, if I miss the ferry, that's not really a divorce, right? You should have put it in. Um, Duff, okay, that's Duff two. Duff three, um, again, as we mentioned, we want to protect the woman. Therefore, we want to say that if he doesn't come back, it's the, the divorce is a divorce, meaning the get works because we don't want her to say like, oh, I know he really loves me and for sure, I'm sure he wanted to get back, but he's probably, you know, stuck in traffic or missed his flight, right? We don't want you to wait around. Uh, we want you to recognize that he should have been back uh, and therefore uh, the, the divorce is a divorce. Um, and also the opposite, we don't want women, you know, jumping into, uh, you know, making assumptions. Uh, we want there to be a divorce if that was the stipulation. Um, uh, an important concept comes up here on DAF 3. Um, uh, I'll say it in uh, Aramaic and then I'll translate. So the, 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 the line is, kol de mekadesh adata de rabbanan mekadesh, which means, Anybody who gets betrothed, right, Mekadesh, anybody who gets betrothed, they do it with the, they have in mind the sages. What does that mean? That the authority of the sages um, uh, basically um, can affect the marriage, right? What does that mean? The sages can say if this marriage, right, or this divorce is valid or not. Right, one could say, how could a court determine whether the marriage is valid or not, right, or the divorce is valid or not? Shouldn't it be between just me and my husband? Um, how could it be? And the Gemara says, right, it's important to recognize. And now, of course, we're learning this, so you'll you'll recognize when you, the next time you go to the wedding, um, right? What do they say? at mikudeshet li. Remember when the the groom says to the bride, you are now betrothed to me, kedat Moshe the Yisrael, right? With uh, having in mind or with the uh, authority of Moses, of Moshe, and all of Israel, meaning um, we're very aware of this betrothal and the court has um, authority over it. Uh, again, we want to say this is all to protect the woman, right? If the husband leaves and never comes back, we want to be able to um, assist to help this woman. Um, 
Okay, um, some say that Rava actually holds that there is the concept of ones with a get, meaning that um, all those cases that we mentioned, uh, right, he gets sick uh, or he couldn't make it, uh, that the divorce would not really be a full-fledged divorce, um, but that is not um, that is not how we uh, rule. Um, okay. Uh, we mentioned that the courts sit on Monday and Thursday. Uh, if that sounds familiar, uh, those are also the days that we read from the Torah in our davening. Um, those go together, right? The idea, and here the Gemara tells us that this was a decree of Ezra. If you remember, Ezra um, is the time of what we call Shivat Tzion, the return to Zion. After the 70 years in uh, in Babel, the Jewish people come back to Israel um, and they reestablish Jewish law in Israel. And he decreed that the, the courts should sit on Monday and Thursday. That meant that those would be market days. That meant that those were times where they would read the Torah. Now, those were the days that people came into the big cities. Um, and therefore, as we mentioned before, uh, the, the, the wedding should be on Wednesday before uh, the court would sit on Thursday. Um, interestingly, the Gemara tells us that during dangerous times, uh, they actually were allowed to get married on Tuesday. Um, and um, because of ones, which we have to, again, understand what that means. Here it means something, again, dangerous but different. Um, you could even get married on Monday. So the Gemara explains uh, that um, when you said that, you know, Jewish weddings should be on Wednesday, um, and everybody recognized that the weddings should be on Wednesday, um, it seems that the Gemara, the Gemara tells us um, that there used to be uh, an edict uh, that went out that the uh, non-Jewish governor of the town would say that uh, brides would have to sleep with, with them uh, on their wedding night, right? Uh, the, the idea of what's called prima nocta. Uh, it's actually a, a disagreement if this actually really did uh, exist or not, but the Gemara says that uh, this is something that uh, happened, uh, and therefore, right, the, these uh, governors or prefects would come to town, and they knew that wedding night was Wednesday, so they would come on Wednesday and grab all the and grab all the brides. Uh, therefore, they said uh, you can move the wedding to Tuesday night. Uh, the Gemara says, well, why? You know, they're not going to get killed. I mean, it's terrible, but you know, maybe they should still get married then. And the Gemara says, no, the women would actually they were they were so modest that they would rather give up their lives uh, than to sleep with uh, the non-Jewish. Um, the the non-jewish ruler um and therefore um it was actually what we would call pikuach nefesh right to save their it was life-threatening uh and therefore um they moved the weddings to tuesday and yes as uh sarah mentions right when uh tuesday night is a nice night to have uh, or Tuesday is a nice day to have a wedding uh, because of uh, it says Kitov twice in the creation on on Tuesday, so that is true. Um, the Gemara tells us that 
what is this onus, this idea that it was uh, not good to get married on Tuesday so you can get married on Monday? Uh, and here the Gemara describes that the general used to come to town uh, with all the troops um, and they were concerned that he would just take all the food from the wedding uh, or for the wedding. He would take it for his troops, therefore move the wedding to, um, to Monday. Or uh, another case would be um, what if, if the father of the groom or the mother of the bride died on the day of the wedding? Um, so then what, what do you do? Uh, the Gemara describes that you don't tell the bride and the groom. Uh, you conduct the wedding ceremony. Um, they should be together. They should have relations that, that first night. Um, then they separate. Then um, they have seven days of, of Sheva Brachot, meaning they, they celebrate for seven days. And then, um, uh, and then they, um, sorry, uh, after they have relations and they separate, they bury the, the parent. Then they have Sheva Brachot. And then only after Sheva Brachot, they, have, they then sit Shiva, right? They mourn uh, for their parents. Uh, and in this whole time, uh, they're going to sleep separately um, because the, the Gemara says that in public, they're not going to mourn, uh, but in private, they do. And uh, when someone is mourning, uh, they should not, um, normally they can sleep in the same room. They cannot have relations, uh, but because this is a newlywed couple, they should sleep separately. Um, Though uh, at the top of Dafur, uh, the Gemara tells us that the bride can adorn herself uh, so that she's beautiful for her husband. Um, it's interesting that um, the, the, the Gemara says that um, this is all if they already prepared everything for the wedding, but if they, um, if they didn't, um, then, um, one second, Ah, and sorry, and it's specifically the father of the groom and the mother of the bride. Um, but if it's the opposite, so then you have the funeral um, and then uh, you push off the wedding because um, there will be a, a, the, their other, their parents will be there to help them. It's interesting that the Gemara seems to imply that, you know, the groom needs his father and that the bride needs her mother. Um, and without those two figures, uh, you know, you just have to have the wedding right there and then. You can't push it off. Um, Okay, um, if they, as I mentioned, if they already slept together, then they do not need to separate during that week. Uh, we do trust them. Um, but, um, uh, and here the Gemara talks about a case, what's called in Hebrew, chupat nida, which is a woman who becomes, who, who becomes a nida, meaning she becomes impure because of menstruation um, at her wedding, meaning either right before her wedding, but at her wedding, if she's a nida, uh, that means that that night they cannot be together, uh, and therefore they cannot sleep uh, alone uh, in, let's say, in a hotel room or in their apartment. Um, what happens is sometimes they have, you know, a young sibling sleepover in the house. Um, they can stay in the same room, but there needs to be somebody uh, in the house with them. Um, and since we're talking about a woman menstruating and being impure, uh, the Gemara tells us that 
there are certain tasks uh, that a woman normally does for her husband, um, and she can do all of those things while she's in nida, when, while she's impure, except for three tasks. And these are actually um, the basis for um, the uh, laws of uh, family purity that we have nowadays. Uh, the three things she cannot do is pour his drink, uh, arrange his bed, or wash his hands and his feet, right? These are seen as very um, intimate actions. Uh, it's interesting because we don't really relate to that, I think, nowadays. Um, but definitely in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, this was something that only the wife did, not a servant, not uh, anybody else. They were seen as very intimate. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, a woman who's in Nida cannot do uh, these um these actions. However, she can do it um, if if they're uh, if they are in mourning. Uh, so again, if if she's in mourning, uh, she can do it. But because uh, uh, again, we trust her to uh, restrain. Again, they cannot have relations while uh, they are in mourning. Uh, but if it's when he's in mourning, we don't really trust him. And uh, sometimes they they did sleep separately in that case. Um, if the wife is mourning, so the husband needs to act like he is in mourning, uh, definitely in public, um, and vice versa, um, meaning the spouse um, um, kind of reflects what the other spouse is doing. Um, in general, we are stringent with mourning, um, but with the laws of mourning um, and mourning. Uh, however, mourning during the wedding uh, is going to be more lenient. As we said, uh, you're going to wait seven days. Um, and uh, therefore, um, we want to make sure because we are so lenient, we want to make sure that they uh, sleep separately at that time. Um, da 5 tells us um, that uh, you can't have uh, the wedding and then uh, the first bi'ah, uh, bi'ah means intercourse, um, you cannot have that happen on Friday night. Uh, and we're going to get into a, a, a quite a lengthy discussion, really that's going to bring us back to the laws of Shabbat. Um, the, the Gemara tells us on Daf 5, why can't you have uh, the first intercourse on a Friday night? Um, because uh, it will create a wound. Uh, a wound is a problem on Shabbat uh, because she's going to bleed and you're not allowed to create a wound uh, on Shabbat. Um, and you also shouldn't have a wedding on Saturday night because uh, we're concerned that the whole Shabbat, you're going to be talking about all the things you have to prepare. Um, or, uh, right, because if you remember, we learned in Masachat Shabbat, Daver uh, Davar, you're not allowed to speak about things that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat, right? We have to, uh, right, it's always, uh, it's always good to kind of focus on Shabbat on Shabbat and don't make plans for after Shabbat on Shabbat. Um, or, uh, but then the Gemara says, wait a minute, we know you are allowed to deal with matters that pertain to a mitzvah, um, so then this should be uh, then this should be okay. So the Gemara says, no, we're actually concerned that you're actually going to do some sort of preparation for the wedding. Maybe you'll slaughter the animals uh, in preparation for the wedding. Um, and therefore, because you're so stressed about the wedding, you might be so preoccupied um, 
and therefore uh, you shouldn't uh, make the wedding uh, on Saturday night either. Um, okay, uh, now, um, right, as we mentioned, so she, the, the woman is going to get married, they're going to get married on Wednesday um, and have relations on Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday night is already seen as Thursday. So uh, Sarah mentioned the idea of Kitov mentioned twice. Uh, here the Gemara talks about uh, different days that are um, um, days of blessing, right? So the Gemara tells us that Wednesday night, which is already Thursday, uh, is a day of blessing because God gave a blessing to the fish to be fruitful and multiply on the fifth day. Uh, therefore, uh, Wednesday night is a good night. Uh, widows get married on a Thursday and have relations Thursday night, which is really Friday. Um, and on Friday, meaning the sixth day, is also a day of blessing because God gave a blessing to Adam, right, to pru urvu, right, to be fruitful and multiply. Um, so we see that both of these days are uh, auspicious days for a wedding. Um, so the, the Gemara also tells us that um, why does the widow get married on Thursday night? Um, this is to make sure that the husband of the widow will celebrate with her for three days. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, right, uh, if they get married th Thursday night, he's not going to go to work on Friday, and then you have um, um, you have Friday, you have Shabbat, and you have Sunday. Meaning, um, ah, sorry, Thursday, Friday. There, she's going to get married Thursday, so Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. Uh, right, the husband is not going to go to work, and he will celebrate with his new wife um, for those three days. Um, Okay, um, uh, from here, the Gemara gives uh, a few um, um, uh, drashot uh, explanations on different uh, verses. Um, and here the Gemara talks about uh, why your ear is shaped the way it is. Uh, so the Gemara says, if you hear something inappropriate, then, oh, sorry, why your ears, exactly, and your finger, exactly. Why are your fingers so pointy and sharp? If you hear something inappropriate, you should stick your finger in your ear. It fits really nicely, uh, and don't listen to inappropriate things. Uh, and that's why we need uh, individual fingers. Uh, and I think it's just fascinating, right, The Gemara goes through the names. Uh, first of all, if anybody wants to know the names in Hebrew, of each of the fingers. Uh, it's here on Da 5. Um, and the Gemara tells us how each finger is important, right? Each finger is needed for a different action uh, or measurement in the temple. Uh, so I'll leave that to you to do some uh, review if you remember what each of the fingers are for. Uh, if not, you can look it up again in Da 5. Uh, or uh, if you don't want to stick your finger in your ear, here I'll move it, right? You can fold your earlobe. Uh, into your ear, that also works, right? That's why the earlobe is soft and, the, and the, the rest of the ear is hard. You know, you can just put your earlobe up into your ear. Okay, let's go back to uh, our question from the beginning of this daf. Um, can um, the first relations be on Shabbat? Uh, and now we're going to go uh, back into the laws of Shabbat. So we said um, that the, the blood, right? Again, it's important to understand um, that uh, the, the bleeding that uh, a woman has on the first night is what's called hymenal bleeding, right? It's from her hymen. Uh, when it tears um, because of the, the, the penetration. Um, so the question is, number one, 
is this considered a wound? Um, the, the Gemara understands the blood here in, in two ways, right? The Gemara says, is it that the blood is just sitting there and you like there's penetration and then the blood just comes out? Or are you like really creating a wound and then she's bleeding from that wound? So those are uh, two ways of understanding uh, where the blood, I don't want to say where the blood is coming from, but uh, the nature of the uh, release of that blood, and that really is going to impact the laws of Shabbat. Um, so right, if the blood is just sitting there and waiting, and then it comes out, so then it's not really seen as a wound. Um, if it's that the, the blood is on the inside, and then there's a wound, it cuts it open, and then, uh, or whatever, it, it tears, uh, and then the blood comes out, that's seen as a wound, right? Does he want there to be blood, right? Is this seen as a constructive act because he wants there to be blood there um or is it destructive meaning he that's not what it's about right it's about pleasure it's about penetration it's about a mitzvah it has nothing to do with the blood so that's another discussion um right does he want to create this opening uh or is that again seen as something unintentional right if you remember from the laws of shabbat we had the concept in hebrew called davar she'eno mitkaven right something that is unintentional i don't uh right let's say uh the 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 case is uh i'm dragging my chair across my lawn uh while i'm dragging the chair across my lawn it makes this uh right uh, tr uh what's the word uh furrow thank you furrow right so, uh, right so it's making this furrow uh that's needed to plant but i don't want to plant right i'm just trying to get the chair from point a to point b Right? Rabbi Shimon says that is permitted on Shabbat because I do not need this. Uh, the, the consequence is, is um, I don't care about the consequence. It, it, that's not my intention. Rabbi Huda says, no, I care about, meaning uh, even if you don't uh, intend for that consequence, it's a consequence and therefore it is not permitted. So that's a machloket that we saw in Shabbat and that's coming up here again. Um, and also this idea of something, if something is destructive, it's called kilkul, right? Destruction, that is permitted, again, according to Rabbi Yehuda, um, um, only if something is constructive, mitaken, right, to fix. If it's constructive, then uh, that would be prohibited because that's seen as a constructive act. Um, Okay, so those are all the pieces to the puzzle. Um, and uh, the Gemara tells us on Daf 6 that it's a machloket between Rav and Shmuel if this, was, uh, if this is permitted uh, or not. Uh, Rav seems to say that an unintentional action is permitted, uh, and therefore this would be permitted. However, we're going to bring up another concept from Shabbat, uh, in Aramaic, the concept is psik resha velo yamut, right? Psik resha means, um, it literally means you're going to cut off its head and it's not going to die. If you remember, we had the story of a chicken, right? A child wants to play with the head of a chicken. Don't ask. I, I don't know. Uh, and the father's like, oh, okay, fine. I'll cut the head off of the chicken so you can play with it. Oh, no. Oops. The chicken died. 
What do you mean the chicken died? When you cut off its head, the chicken died, right? So um, the apsik risha means that if something is inevitable, uh, whether you intended for it or not, it is not, um, if that inevitable consequence is forbidden, so then you cannot do that action, right? I can't say um, I, I can cut off the head of that chicken because um, um, that's what my child wants. I, I don't really want it to die. It is for sure going to die, uh, and therefore you are not allowed to do that. So now uh, we go back to um, back to our case, um, and the, the question is, um, again, do we see uh, the fact that the woman is going to bleed as a psik resha? Do we see it as an inevitable consequence? Uh, and I think we all know that it is not necessarily the case. Not every single woman uh, bleeds the first time. Uh, and therefore, um, again, uh, Rav says that this is uh, permissible and Shmuel um, seems to say that it is, um, it is forbidden. Um, there is a brighter that says it in the opposite, uh, in the opposite way as well. Um, okay, uh, the the Gemara says that um, since we're talking about uh, Friday night and having relations, um, so the Gemara tells us that a groom uh, is uh, exempt from saying kriyat shema, from saying the shema. Uh, the night of his wedding, uh, till he has relations. Again, another concept uh, in Hebrew, osek b'mitzvah, patur min ha-mitzvah. Right? If you are involved in doing a mitzvah, you are exempt from doing another mitzvah. Right? I don't have to stop in the middle of doing one mitzvah in order to go do another mitzvah. Of course, we've seen this in the Gemara before. If something is time sensitive, maybe, maybe you do. Uh, here, uh, we say that uh, as long as they have not yet had relations, um, he does not have to say Shema because he is preoccupied uh, with this mitzvah. He he needs to do this mitzvah. Uh, the Gemara seems to say that he has till Saturday night. He has four nights from Wednesday till Saturday night. Um, that seems to prove that he could have relations on Friday night, right? If you say four nights starting on Wednesday, so Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, right? That would prove that Friday night would be permissible. Uh, the Gemara says, no, maybe he's just preoccupied that he can't do it on Friday night. He tried Wednesday, Thursday, now Friday night he can't do it. Uh, and because he is so preoccupied, um, he is still exempt. Uh, the Gemara says, wait a minute, if you can't do the mitzvah, you wouldn't be exempt. Uh, meaning if at this moment he cannot do the mitzvah, so then he should have to um, say Shema. And since we don't say that, it seems to prove uh, that they can have their first relations on Friday night. Um, again, here the Gemara at the end of Daf 6, um, again says to us that maybe bleeding is not inevitable. It's not a psik resha um, because it seems that there were some uh, men who were experts on preventing bleeding for the first time. Uh, again, it's fascinating that the perspective is from the man, right? He was the expert. It's not that maybe she wasn't bleeding, uh, but again, it's the Gemara was written by the men. Um, but it's just interesting. Um, so uh, the Gemara explains that uh, there seem to have been many people who were experts on uh, preventing bleeding the first time. Um, 
However, this could see, be seen as complicated because as we will see in this Masechet and in uh, other Masechtot, um, we want generally, uh, if the girl was a virgin, uh, the husband wants to see the blood uh, in order to prove uh, that that is the case. Um, so uh, the Gemara describes that there were people who uh, set up the room beforehand to make sure that nobody was, uh, there was no foul play, right, that she didn't like hide uh, bloodied sheets or that he didn't like take away sheets. Um, so the Gemara says those people are still there. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody uh, is honest. Um, and uh, the the last uh, point of the Gemara on Zaf 6 uh, goes back to, again, the laws of Shabbat uh, about popping a boil, right, or a pimple, right? If you, if you pop a boil, uh, is this uh, permitted or not? Uh, again, one could see the, the correlation, right? There is some uh, liquid, uh, you're creating a wound or not, right? An opening or a wound, and the liquid comes out. Uh, the Gemara says that this is not um, um, comparable or correlated directly to um, um, the the first night, um, because when you have uh, you know a, a pimple or a boil, uh, the Gemara describes that the pus is gathered and already separated from the body. Uh, it's just waiting to be released. Whereas that is not the case uh, of the blood that is going to uh, be that as she's going to bleed the first night. Uh, it might be gathered in the area, but it's not separated from the body, uh, and therefore uh, again maybe it is still, uh, maybe it's forbidden on Friday night, um, whereas the popping the boil or the pimple might be okay um, based on the fact that it is already separated. Um, and with that, we finish the first, uh, the first uh, few datim of uh, Masechet Ketuvot. Uh, may our learning be productive uh, and exciting and interesting um, and uh, looking forward to continue continuing to learn. If you're noticing uh, the, the dapim, the pages are much shorter uh, than the, the pages on, uh, in Yivamot um, and uh, I think less complicated. Uh, so that bodes well. Uh, for the next few months for us. So uh, wishing everyone uh, a wonderful week. Uh, and uh, this Sunday, uh, this Sunday is Shiva Sar Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz. It's a fast day. Uh, so wishing everyone a uh, meaningful and, uh, and uh, you know, I guess, uh, easy or not so easy, but meaningful fast. Uh, and looking forward to seeing you next week on Tuesday night. Have a great week, Bye -bye. everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mara? Yes. Yes, we had uh, Erosim before we had Nesuim, with a few months apart. You did Tanaim. Tanaim, right. So Tanaim are a little different, but it is very mm -hmm. close. It is very close, uh, which is but why... That, that is said we had Erosim, not Naim. Okay, very... Yeah, we have a certificate. Okay, so it's a, good thing, you, it's a good thing you got, uh, it's a good thing you got married. <laughs> uh, all is yeah. well that ends well. So you were very uh, Talmudic. Uh, you wanted to go back to the old, old days, olden days. 
don't know. I guess our parents wanted it. Okay. They wanted to. Oh, Daddy says it was our minhag. Okay. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. Um, so this is this is where it comes from. Meaning it's based on this Mishnah and Gemara. Uh, this idea that uh, you know there's there's the the first stage of of marriage and then the second stage of marriage. So uh, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. It was very, very interesting. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.